Church podcast. This is part one of our series, What Are You Building With Your Life? with a message entitled, What Will You Pass On? with Pastor Nelson Jones. I think one of the roles in life that is the most special and maybe the top role that you're ever going to play if you're a man, if you have the privilege, if you have the privilege of being a father, it is a role in which Often we have a great sense of failure, an up and down ride. We can be very hard on ourselves. And it's something that I think in today's world isn't maybe as celebrated as maybe it once was. I want to begin a series today that's just basically a question that we're going to cover over the next weeks and make it our summer series, which is what are you building with your life? Because you're building something. Everybody's building something. Being a father, your main work is going to be in the foundation. You will influence the foundation of your family, whether it be your wife, whether it be your children, your grandchildren, or the generations beyond that. You're absolutely a foundation builder. Now, the foundation is an interesting part of the house because it is the unseen part. And oftentimes in what you do, just by simply carrying out the role in the things that you do for your families are largely unseen. The inner challenges that you put yourself through and respond to to continue to improve and strengthen yourself through choices so that you can be strong for your family, so that you can impact them, influence them in the directions that you want them to go. What are you building with your life? In this case, men, we're going to be talking about you, dad somewhat, but mainly with men today. When we are building foundations, you got to be good. I mean, you got to be really good. You can't miss it on the foundation. You can miss it on a wall and it's not quite in the perfect position that you want it to be, but that can be easily replaced. That can be easily changed. You can't miss it in the foundation. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.10. Using the gift that God gave me, I did the work of an expert builder and laid the foundation. It's just, that's, that's the critical deal in building any life, including yours. A lot of us have gone through foundation issues growing up. We didn't get that good solid foundation laid in. Maybe you had it laid in with somebody that focused on economics a lot. Or maybe you uh, had it laid in by somebody that really worked the, the work ethic. In certain areas, you got a strong foundation. But then there's weak areas of your foundation. That wasn't ever laid in. Maybe one of those is faith itself. Maybe it's your own sexuality. Maybe it has to do with intimacy and uh, being vulnerable and sure. Processing things rather than reacting to things. I, I, I don't know what your foundation flaws would be, but you are probably quite aware of the fruit of them. Every one of us are going to have some flaws in the foundations that have been laid, and it's really important that as men that we take hold of that foundation and strengthen it 
and redo where it needs to be done. Do the dig and do the hard work and get the foundation right. Because that foundation, if you get it right, you're blessing the next generation more than anything else you can bring to them. If you get that foundation repaired, strengthened, rounded out, everything placed in it that should be placed in it, you are giving the best gift to your children, your grandchildren, and the generations beyond. Let's just contemplate a question of the day. What are the three top characteristics you are going to pass on? Not that you want to, but where you stand right now. The strength of your foundation, the strength of your life, how you practice, what you do. What are the three top characteristics you are going to pass on at this stage without change? Unless you change something, unless something's changed. What are the three top characteristics, good or bad? It's a sobering question. To answer it, I want to take a look at some, just a couple men in the scriptures, more in depth a little bit with one. And then I want to finish off by talking about honoring your fathers. Some of you have a problem doing that. I don't want to tell you how you can. Even, even if, if, if you didn't have one that was strong in their foundation and how they lived it out or planted something in you, you need to obey God and honor them, and I'll tell you how you do that. Two men, first one is Job. An unusual guy to go to maybe on a Father's Day, but not certainly on the subject of men. This, this, is, this is a prince among us. This is a guy that, that, a story that's told in real life, real time. The only difference with Job is that where he took the brunt of economic failures, family failures, loss. He just took it all within one day. Within a condensed, boom, it was done. You're gonna take those same things over lifetime. You will experience what he experienced, but it will be over a lifetime. He took it in hours. And so this amazing guy is being tested. God is allowing this test so that God's glory is being, uh, can I say, lifted up. Let me just read the story with you quickly. And it's found in Job 1, I'm gonna read, and I'm gonna read through the tests. But let's get his character first. And I want you to notice when we read this that it's being discussed in the very throne room of God, this man's character. If you don't think that your life matters to the praise and glory of God, you need to hear these verses. If you don't think those choices every day and the hard work of digging down and repair is not important, then you need to hear these verses. Because these verses tell us that God is celebrating what Job has made of his life. A man devoted to God. Job was a man who lived in us. He was honest inside and out. A man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also very wealthy. 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a huge staff of servants, the most influential man in all the East. 
His sons used to take turns hosting parties in their homes, always inviting their three sisters to join them in their merrymaking. When the parties were over, Job would get up early in the morning and sacrifice a burnt offering for each of his children thinking. Maybe one of them sinned by defying God inwardly. Job made a habit of the sacrificial atonement just in case they'd sinned. How in touch and in tune was he with the passion that he had for his kids' spiritual rightness with God. The first test, one day when the angels came to report to God, Satan, who was a designated accuser, came along with them. God singled out Satan and said, what have you been up to? Satan answered, going here and there, checking things out on earth. God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. Honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. Satan retorted, so do you think Job does all that out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why no one ever had it so good? You pamper him like a pet, make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does, he can't lose. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you right to your face, that's why. God replied, we'll see. Go ahead. Do what you want with all that is his, just don't hurt him. Then Satan left the presence of God. Sometime later, while Job's children were having one of their parties at the home of the oldest son, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing in the field next to us when Sabians attacked. They stole the animals, killed the field hands. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. This is the day from hell, literally. While he was still talking, Another messenger arrived and said, bolts of lightning struck the sheep and the shepherds and fried them, burned them to a crisp. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened while he was still talking. Another messenger arrived and said, Chaldeans coming from three directions raided the camels and massacred the camel drivers. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened while he was still talking. Another messenger arrived and said, your children were having a party at the home of the oldest brother when a tornado swept in off the desert and struck the house. It collapsed on the young people and they died. I'm the only one to get out alive and tell you what happened. Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground and worshiped. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives, God takes. God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. One day when the angels came to report to God, Satan also showed up. God singled out Satan saying, and what have you been up to? Satan answered, God, oh, going here and there, checking things out. Then God said to Satan, have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him, is there? Honest and true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. He still has a firm grip on his integrity. You tried to trick me into destroying him, but it didn't work, Satan answered. A human would do anything to save his life, 
But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away his health? He'd curse you to your face, that's what. God said, all right, go ahead, you can do what you like with him, but mind you, don't kill him. Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to foot. They itched the news so badly that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself, then went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. His wife said, still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Curse God and be done with it. He told her, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Why not also the bad days? Not once through all this did Job sin. He said nothing against God. You're going to go through all those things. It will be over a lifetime. You're going to have a messenger come and they're going to say, you know that kid, uh, they've made some really bad choices. And here's what they're into. And you're going to take a loss. You're going to have uh, some disturbing news around your finances that you're going to go through in life. You're going to go through very difficult waters and some of that throughout your life. You are going to experience loss. You are going to experience challenge. You are going to experience this in life. Your faith is not an escape from the realities of life. It is a foundation in the challenges of life. In the case of Job, he is tested in all of these things as you heard in this reading. One messenger after another within minutes of each other. He goes from having it all to literally stripped of everything. And then finally, even his health. How in the world does this guy respond the way that he does, even when his most intimate relationship betrays him and betrays giving him strength and betrays the very faith in God that he has treasured? And how does he say, the hand of God's gonna bring good, do we just take that only? Is there not also going to be these things that will come? How does that kind of strength come? Where does that emerge from? I'm going to give you an opportunity to strengthen the list of those three things that you are going to pass on. If you did, if it's not going to be interrupted from this day on, here's what you have passed on. What have you passed on? What in the foundation of the next generation have you passed on? The good news is you can actually bring change to this list if you don't like the three things on there you can actually begin differently now and bring the change, no matter whether they're adult children or young children. Let me give you three things that we see in Job that made this guy an incredible man. I mean, just a prince among us. This guy, this guy was, was cream of the crop. He literally was a guy that, that you would be able to sidle up next to and find a, a guy that didn't change. He, was, he had integrity inside, outside. I mean, he was good all the way through. He was a man of his word. He hates sin. He loved his kids. He cared about their spiritual outcomes and their relationship with God. This guy had a very strong list he was passing on. 
The first thing that I think that we find in him is this word humility. He is the most influential, wealthy man in the East at that time. If you just think about the amazing things that he possessed and you translated that into the, that context of that farming world, you would find this man was exceptionally rich, also in lands, because when you have 500 teams of oxen, you've got a lot of land to plow. This guy had it all. But there was something about him that none of that stuff entered a certain zone. There was a zone within him that was absolutely dedicated to God. He had the humility because of that dedicated zone. You can't have humility unless God is in the center of this. It will turn out to be pride. There was a man that was actually an East Indian man and he was uh, visiting with a missionary and the missionary uh, had talk, done a talk on pride and this man said, oh, I don't have any pride. I'm, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a humble man. To which the missionary said, really? He said, yeah. He said, uh, explain to me. So they talked about humility and what humbleness is and this guy was saying, yep, yeah, no, I, I act this way. I know, I I don't treat my servants that way. No, I'm not. And he's going through this list. And then finally he gets to the end of the list and the missionary asks him, I just have one question for you. Are you proud of being humble? To which he had this knowledge, yes, I am. Humility is a, is a God zone. It's where you and God connect, the revelation zone, that part of like, I know who I am, I know who he is, and I dare not, dare not enter in to anything else in that central zone by him. This is Job. Job didn't serve God as Satan continually was challenging to because he was rich or lived in the blessings of God. He wasn't serving God because he had all of this in his life. He wasn't serving God because he was healthy and strong. He was serving God because he was dedicated to God in a zone that he would never have challenged by all that he possessed. Humility. A second thing we find in him is a courage of your convictions. Wouldn't this be a great thing to pass on to? A God zone that's central in your kids and the generations to follow, that they understand that's where you drew all of the, the strength from and that's why you're filled with gratefulness to God and where they see a humility in you before God. And then this other one, courage of your convictions that no matter what the circumstances, even when the most intimate relationship will challenge you to let go of this. What are you doing hanging on to this? Get it over with. Drop it, Job. Job wouldn't do it. The courage of his convictions bears out if you read the story further with the three friends who challenged Job to his core and they're wrong, they're off base. They, they, they don't know this guy's heart. And they're saying, you got, you're wrong somewhere, Job. You're off, you're off. You're hiding, you got stuff. Job knew his heart before God and he knew God's role in his life. 
He had a courage of convictions to stand in the face of counsel over days with three friends and to say, no, I know I have not sinned against God. Courage to stand. Wouldn't that be something to pass on in the foundation? The courage to be able to stand for their convictions with the wisdom and the strength and the fortitude that is often needed. Third thing that we find is this eternal view. Constantly, his view transcends his situation of loss. And it goes into God, where he is saying, look, we take the good days from God, why not also the bad days? Eternal view. For him, it doesn't mean that he was in denial over the pain. He was having incredible pain. It was a torture to his soul. The thing, though, that bothered Job the most was he didn't understand the hand of God in all of this, but he would not, would not move away from the humility, from the courage of his convictions, and from the eternal view that he lived his life with. That God had purpose in all things. That God was in charge. That it's God's plan that matters. Man, this guy had the list, and he was passing this on. At the end of his story, if you read it right through, him and God in the final chapters are having a conversation and God takes over the conversation and finally responds to Job. And how God responds to Job is basically again reinforcing this zone that him and Job had shared and saying, Job, don't you ever forget who I am. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? Do you know why I do what I do, Job? You have no idea. You can't grasp my plan, Job. You see the greatness of these things around you, Job? Do you understand my hand? You don't, Job. It's an amazing moment. And then at the end of it, Job forgives his three friends, offers a sacrifice for them, prays for them because he doesn't even want to hold them to account for the horrible journey that they had walked him through. At the very end of the story, Job is the humility, controls it, and he says, I have said too much. I have questioned you, God. No more. I will be silent. You're God. Then come some amazing things. He's blessed twice. So the numbers you saw that we read in one, just double them, except for the kids. He has seven boys and three girls again. Now, ladies, you're going to really like this on Father's Day. They're the only ones that we're given the names for is the three ladies. And it's interesting because in this version it says, and he treated them as full equals. As the sons. They got the same payout from the estates. Humility, courage of your convictions, eternal view. How's that for a good foundation to pass on? 
And you say, but I have really not done this first. I haven't done a lot of this. Let's just, just track with me. Matthew 6, says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's Job. Right there, right there. He sought first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all that stuff was just an add-ons. It was given to him. This so opposite the world. Everything in the, in the core zone of the world is possess this, 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 and this. And then build it up and pass it on and teach them how to possess this, 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 and this. Bad foundation. Kingdom builders make God the foundation. So if you're gonna make the big change first, then you have to look no further than making God the foundation first and everything else as add-ons. If your kids get that principle, if your grandkids get that principle, if your generations get that principle, they will do well. Kids, I want you to hear something from me. You look and you see what we have now. You see how God has blessed us. You see what we've been through. But what you do not see is that God has been the foundation of everything that we have. Without God, these things don't matter. They need to know that God is your rock and core. They need to know that he is your absolute foundation. That you'll never move away from it. In fact, that will build in them a security. I asked my wife, I said, honey, just a quick question. And I, and I blindsided her on this question. I didn't give her thinking time or anything. I, I just said, you know, honey, if you could say one thing to men, what would you tell them? Without even, like hardly a breath, all of a sudden, here's what she says. I would tell them to make sure that their worship of God is number one in their life because everything around them, the security of, and she was speaking personally as a wife, the children, is set because that foundation will never move. They must not move off of foundation. If they, if they move the foundation, they're destroying the idea of the security and, and that feel of solidness within the home. Make God the foundation. That's being a kingdom builder. That's what you want to live in. Matthew, or Proverbs 24, 3 says this. Through skillful and godly wisdom, a house, a life, a home, a family is built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. In 1 Corinthians three eleven, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Proverbs 12, 3, you can't find firm footing in a swamp, but the life rooted in God stands firm. Proverbs 14, 26, reverence for God gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trusting God, this faith, is, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. Second man, Noah, 
He lived in a generation that God describes this way, that every heart was bent on the worst wickedness. He's saying the earth had fallen into such ungodliness that all men could think about all the time was violence or sex. or They had no other thoughts other than the consumption of their flesh. And he speaks, to, and, he, and, and as he's assessing, and then all of a sudden, out, out, of, out of that horrible assessment, rises above this one family group, this one man, and here's what he says about him in Genesis 6, 8, and 9. But Noah was different. Wow. Noah was different. How was he different? God liked what he saw in Noah. God liked, God liked what he saw in Job. Jesus liked what he saw in Peter. He, that's why I called him. With all of his flaws and all of the arrogances that needed to be purged from his life. I mean, Jesus loved what he saw in all of these ones that he walked with. Jesus loves what he sees in you, but he wants you to do something with it in the foundation. This is the story of Noah. Noah was a good man, a man of integrity in his community. Noah walked with God. It was his foundation. I mean, look, you might have a little trouble walking with God when a few little light tests are coming. Here's a guy, the whole culture, everything. You, You think this culture's bad? This culture is nowhere near the days of Noah yet. In the days of Noah, nobody rose above but this one man. How hard was it for this guy to walk with God at those times? The challenge would have been immense. The pressure's immense. But somehow in the middle of this, Noah had that zone with God that humility where God is God and he will be the one that directs and he will be the one that my knee bows to and no, nobody or nothing else. I will not serve lesser gods. I will not serve the lesser things. I'm not gonna serve what others are chasing. I'm not gonna do that. He, he made those conscious, his foundation was different. Now for those of you that have a difficulty honoring your father, let me just give you some insights here every dad has weakness in the foundation there's not a dad that has been in existence that somehow doesn't have a weakness in the foundation that then they have to dig down and do the hard work of God rebuilding that or maybe setting it in for the very first time the point being all of us are, are ones with the weakness. We're going to make some errors. We're going to say some things. We're going to do some things. We're going to make mistakes. You don't honor because there's perfection. Let's take a look again at the story of Noah. Now here's the guy that stood unbelievable. And then he rides in the ark and, and, and after all of that, he's, God hit the restart button and he is now on the restart and he's back farming. He's a farmer now. Noah, a farmer, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank from its wine, got drunk and passed out naked in his tent. 
Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and told his two brothers who were outside the tent. Shem and Japheth took a cloak, held it between them from their shoulders, walked backward and covered their father's nakedness, keeping their faces turned away so they did not see their father's exposed body. Okay, here's what's happened. Noah, he is imbibing on the fermented fruit of his vineyard, and he gets corked. So, I mean, like fall to the ground, corked. He is out of it. Now, you can take a look and say, whoa. God didn't. God liked what he saw in Noah. God will always weigh the heart. So God was looking at Noah, and he loved what he saw in this man. But here's Noah, corked in the middle of his tent, stark naked. The youngest, Ham, comes in. And he sees his dad. And then he goes back out of the tent. And he says to his brothers, you're not going to believe this one. I never thought I'd see dad do this. Oh, I never thought that he could ever be like this. I never thought that we'd ever, oh, can you believe our dad? Oh, it was awful. I mean, he's old and he's naked. He was part of the exposing. There's a great scripture that says this. Love covers a multitude of sins. Not what is happening here. So here's what happens. So Ham, he goes in there. He comes out and he's just making it all known. Oh, guys. The other two brothers, they're like, oh. These guys, man, I admire them. They honor their dad in his weakness. His weakness is finally exposed. This man likes to imbibe. And what do they do? Are you kidding him? Like seriously? Is he like stark naked or is there anything on? Like, I mean, how drunk is he really? I mean, is he... They just immediately move into action. They take a cloak. One shoulder to the other shoulder. Dad's over here laying there. They back into the tent without looking on their father. And they cover him. Your dad's got weaknesses. Those weaknesses probably bit you. You can be a Ham or you can be a Shem or a Japheth. I mean, you can take your choice. But please don't expect your perfect fathers to be perfect. There's only one perfect father. So you're left with a choice. Now here's what happens to Ham. Noah then puts a curse. God literally puts a curse on Ham and his descendants, saying they will serve Japheth and and they will serve Shem's descendants. He put a curse on them. And Ham is never again spoken about in any positive way in the rest of scriptures. God's not in that. 
God is in grace. And God responded to Shema Japheth giving grace, covering. How do you cover? How do you cover your father's sins against you? How do you cover the weaknesses that are surely there? How do you cover the mistakes made? How do you cover some of the worst things that you may have experienced? How do you cover? Well, you're either going to honor through forgiveness or gratitude. Forgiveness is the power of taking a cloak and walking backwards in and covering. It's not denying. It's not running from it. It's covering. When you forgive, you are stepping out of a judgment role and you are turning him over to God and any work that needs to be done in his heart is gonna be done by God anyway and not by you. And you are stepping out of that, that journey of trying to be God in these circumstances and just cover and forgive. The other thing that will be a part of honoring, of course, is gratitude. And that's the one we tend to pay more attention to on Father's Day, that we're so grateful for our dads. Or both. Forgiveness and gratitude. You may not have had the best experience. You are not alone, are you kidding? Because every dad has weakness. If you're, a, if you're a young lad coming up, uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to have weakness and that's why I want you to start building into your foundation because it's going to really make a difference in your families and in your home and in your life. But you've got to lay in the right foundation. It's got to be God in the foundation. You've got to have that zone that you will not move out of or let anything else come into and compromise. So we're either going to honor through forgiveness or gratitude or both. Now here's some notes. I actually put it in the notes because I didn't want you to miss this. Wherever you are, you haven't missed the boat. Because these things only come from honest confession and repentance anyway. You don't, you don't just grab a characteristic. You start every change in your life with confession and repentance and any change started without those two elements is a change that will not touch the deep zones of your life. That's why pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before fall because they, you can't get to the deep zones. Only that humility, only, the, only that beautiful confession which is ownership of it and repentance, I'm turning a different direction. Bring change to the core. So you don't start with a new characteristic. You start with confession and repentance. And as a father and as a man, uh, you need to actually be good at confession and repentance. And if you're not, then you have a pride issue and you've got to get that zone rearranged because I'm telling you, Job's challenges are not unique to Job. The only uniqueness was that they came within such a tight time frame. And you better have a zone and a relationship with God, guys, that transcends, transcends all of the challenges that you're going to meet, 
Otherwise, they will rule you, they will dominate you, and your life and what you pass on will be three things on the top of the list that you don't really want to pass on. So what three things? Good or bad? Are you going to pass on? Would you stand with me, please? This message is not to make you feel defeated. It's to lift you and just say, what an amazing opportunity you have. What a power can be laid into your life. What an amazing thing can begin in your family, all simply because of a simple move on your part. Job and Noah are not outside of your reach. Because God is a gracious, good, good father. He really is. So as I can admonish you as much today as possible on this. Make today some decisions about what am I passing on at this moment, the top three? And how do I need to adjust that list? And wherever you see adjustment needed, start with confession and repentance and you are well on the way to new characteristics, which will be a work of God in you, in your heart, and a meeting zone that you will love and you will draw strength from and you will get through all of your own weaknesses. I've seen this through the years, though, is that men, as they live and go through challenges, retreat from real issue and real building and foundation because they feel like such failures. You only fail when you refuse to own and change. Your weaknesses are like mine. How do I work on my foundation? Confession and repentance, own and change. Don't be defeated by your history. My gosh. You still breathing. Your foundation, you still are speaking loud into the foundations of your families. Adult children, next generations. So do it. Let's do it together. Let's not hide. What are you building with your life? I tell you what you're building in this case, foundations. And honor everybody else in this room. Honor your fathers. And you say, my dad was complete miss. Honor your father like that through forgiveness. But you don't know how bad it was. Honor your father through forgiveness. There's a scripture that says, honor your mother and father that your days may be long upon the earth and it might go well with you. That's God's words. Honor with forgiveness where needed. Honor with gratitude where you can. Fathers, we bow our heads before you. We are all 
recognizing brokenness in our lives in many different ways. Not just men today, but women and all of us together. We recognize foundations and the importance. And we recognize, Lord, that we can get lost in the jungle of our histories and not actually, Lord, track with what the opportunity of today holds. I pray that we would awaken to the amazing opportunity that as men that we have right now in this next breath to build foundations around us and to strengthen our own so that, Lord, you might be glorified, that you might build great things in our family lines. God, I pray in Jesus' name that your spirit will not let us run from this kind of challenge today as men or as fathers, if that be the case. Or, Lord, that we would not run from the message of honoring, even where, Lord, we've been bitten by the weaknesses of our own dads. God, I pray instead we would be men of Isaacar, men that could read the signs and the times and that we know that this is a time in our life for honoring through forgiveness and gratitude where we can. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that we become builders. Here's a little prayer between you and God you might want to borrow today as a believer. You pray it in your own words, but the content can sound something along this line, oh God. I'm more on Satan's assessment of me than yours. I'm glad you see things differently. Now, Lord, I recommit to building the foundation in my life. I choose humility. I choose the courage of convictions and I choose, Lord, an eternal view. I want those things governing everything else in my life with nothing competing one-to-one with it. Fathers, I pray for you. Lord, I pray upon all the fathers a release from guilt and shame and hiding and retreat. I just pray a release from the things, Lord, of history. I pray that today would truly be a new day, that confession and repentance would work very deeply in all of us for that restart button with our own homes, that, Lord, in our own lives, we're going to dig just a little bit deeper on that foundation and we're going to make the change we know needs to happen. Lord, we are going to break a generational pass on from our own uh, histories. Lord, we are going to start a new pass on right now. And Father, I pray that we'd awaken to that. It's just a decision. That is just a decision. And then your power will come to us and lead us and guide us. Father, bless these men, men that are dads, men that in the future will have that privilege, men that may not bear children that way in their homes, but Lord, they will have many opportunities to have children in the business world or in the sport world or Lord, in the hobby world. They're gonna have lots of opportunity, Lord, to influence, to build into the foundations of others and oh God, we need this. It's why our society is breaking. So, Father, bless every man in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Thank you.